you, worship team. And thank you to so many of you who give sacrificially to make this space a reality. It's humbling to stand in these moments. Five years in as a church, every Sunday, I feel like it's a new experience of the presence of God. It's a new opportunity to step into all God has for us. And I'm especially excited about this gathering. Sometimes it's unfortunate for the earlier gatherings because I kind of start to figure out what God wants to say around this one. And then I'm like, yes. So tell them to come back if you know them. And maybe they'll come back tonight and hear this. But I feel like God has just in these moments as we're singing going, this is what I've been trying to get through to you. And so I hope this encourages you. I hope it meets you right where you are. We've been in a series called Dreamer where we're talking about the connection between God-sized dreams and daily frustrating struggles. Where we want to live lives that demand that God come through for them to be possible. We don't want to live lives that are small enough for us to manage in our own self-sufficiency. We want to dream big dreams. Some of us, especially those of us who are older in the room, we want to dream again. We want dreaming to continually be a part of our experience and our relationship with God because God is the ultimate dreamer. God is the giver of dreams. God is the one who makes dreams come true. God is the one who has a thought, speaks a word, and it happens. He reveals to a boy named Joseph this huge dream for his life. And what we're doing is we're watching Joseph's journey and we're learning that dreaming is not as romantic as our culture makes it. And we get inside a room and we talk about having dreams and we just think, ooh, we'll just set all these impossible goals and we'll set these standards that maybe we'll accomplish, maybe we won't, but it's just fun to talk about the big things that might happen. No, this isn't about living in dreamland. This is about God giving you a vision for your life that requires him to come through because today looks tough. And when a God-sized dream collides with the frustration of today, for so many of us, that's when we get overwhelmed and we start to compromise and we're even tempted to give up entirely because today doesn't look like that. But when you watch the story of Joseph, as soon as he gets this God-sized dream for his life, his life gets infinitely more complicated. And what we've been trying to do as we look at his life is see that God's version of dreams is different than our assumptions about the dream. Do we think the dream is about arriving at a destination, at the wedding, in the marriage, at the job, with our kids in this position in life? It's about getting there. But for God, his dream for you is not about getting you to a position. It's about making you into a person. And God's dream for Joseph is that over time, Joseph, from the inside out, will be changed through suffering. And I got bad news for some of you today. God hasn't changed since the book of Genesis. He is still primarily concerned in your life about who you're becoming today, not where you're going tomorrow and not where you're going to be 10 years from now. He'll take care of that. But he's concerned about what Jesus is doing in and through your life today. And I know this series has been good, but a little bit frustrating for some of you because you heard the title Dreamer and you thought it was going to be about us dreaming dreams together as a church. And we talked about doing that. That dreamer wall that you see out there on your way in, we thought about what would it look like if our people were writing dreams that God has given them and we're just all dreaming together. And then I told our creative team, we can't do that because that misses the point. What God is dreaming about today is changing you on the inside. 
So we're looking at the story of Joseph, and we're like, hey, like, it's great to have a God-sized dream, but how's your purity going? Like, how's that area of your life? Have you dealt with the sexual shame from your past, and you're like, whoa, that's, that's what we're talking about? Wow. And we've talked about letting God do what he's trying to do on the inside, and I know that the whole time a lot of you have been like, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it, but how do I make sure I don't miss out on God's dream for my life? How do I make sure I don't miss the will of God? How do I make sure that I don't compromise, that I don't stop one inch short? And this is not just for the younger people in the room who think toward the future more naturally. This is for everyone in the room. God is always doing something in this season to prepare us for the next season, even if the next season for you is heaven. I thought about that today. I was like, who needs to be thinking about the future the most? The person who's going to be face to face with Jesus the soonest. So everybody in the room, what God is doing in you right now is preparing you for something next. And we've been talking about all these internal things, but today is the day where we're going to address What do I need to do to make sure I don't miss it? And what is my part to play in realizing all the dreams God has put in my life? Here it is. Part three of our series, Dreamer, is titled Faithful in the Now. Faithful in the Now. Can you look at someone next to you and say, the time is now? The time is now. Like, literally do it. Feel the weight of this. The time is now. I think too many times we have mistaken the will of God as something over there instead of something that's right here. Caitlin Cole did such an amazing job inspiring us in our bringing time, and she talked about this tendency we all have to go, oh, we all got to wait on God's timing, and I'm just in a season of waiting right now, and I wish his timing was now. I have good news for you today. God's timing is always now. God is a God of the here and now. He's not waiting for you in the future to start living your dream one day. He's not waiting for you in the past to go back and change some things that you should have done differently. He's actually in this moment willing and ready to change everything if you will be faithful to be in tune with his voice and respond to it. This is a sermon That is not something that I studied this week and I'm ready to preach to you because I've been filling up my mind with commentaries and making sure that I'm I'm in line with, with what the scriptures say. I always do that and I'll always be faithful to do that when I'm preaching the word of God. But I just want to tell you, this isn't one that I had to sit down and spend a ton of time studying for because God has written this sermon through my life several times. Here's the number one way to make sure that you live out every dream God has for your life. Make sure that you discern and respond to the voice of God today. If you do that, you'll never miss it. Make sure that you're in tune with the voice of God in the present. Scripture says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that you not only hear what he has to say, but that you respond to it. And so when I say that, for most of you in this room, it's like, that sounds simple. How? And the answer is faithfulness. 
that in every season, God has called you to be available and receptive to what he's doing, not just talking to you, but doing through your life in this particular season. And if you are faithful to stay in tune with the presence of God today, you will never end up in the wrong place tomorrow or in a space tomorrow that's less than what God was dreaming about for you. If the presence of God fills you today, you can actually be in the wrong place today and end up in the best place tomorrow. The presence of God changes everything. I want to show you in the story of Joseph. If you brought your Bible, hold it up. Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39 is where we're going, but don't turn there yet because we need, we need, especially at the late service, some judgmental stares to everyone who's not a good enough Christian to bring their Bible. I'm just kidding. Genesis chapter 39. If you didn't bring your Bible, we'll have it on the screen. That's the first book in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we will get you a Bible. We will Amazon Prime you a Bible by Tuesday around 5 or Wednesday at 9 a.m. It is promised. It is verified. We will get you a Bible. Tell somebody at the info table on the way out. Genesis, first book of the Bible, we've been looking at the story of Joseph. Joseph has 11 brothers, the sons of a man named Jacob, who's also called Israel. Those brothers will become the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is the beginning of a nation, and Joseph receives a dream. In the context of this dream, Joseph is being bowed down to by his brothers. We're going to be in verse 20, if you're looking for the verse Joseph was already favored by his father, so his brothers hate him all the more for his dreams. They sell him into slavery to a group of people called the Midianites who resell him to an Egyptian family led by a man named Potiphar. And it's in Potiphar's house where Joseph actually thrives and flourishes, and he's given responsibility over the whole house until we find out that Potiphar's wife was crazy and tried to pull Joseph aside and say, hey, come to bed with me. And he's like, whoa, no, no. I've got a heart of gratitude before my God. Sexual temptation cannot grab a hold of a heart that's grateful for the season and the provision and the presence of God in a current season. You're in tune with who God is right now. You're grateful for everything God's given you. That has no hold on you. And Joseph's like, nope. But then she corners him while he's all alone. She's like, you could argue she should be put in prison for taking advantage of him. And she takes off his cloak and holds it up and says, this Hebrew slave tried to take advantage of me. Some of you are looking at me funny. You clearly weren't in church last week or you've never heard this story. You're like, are we, are we talking about the Bible? This is the Bible. I might read this. Wow. Yes, that's what happens. Joseph's falsely accused of trying to take advantage of his master's wife. He's thrown in prison, and that's where we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39, verse 20. If you're there, say, I'm there. Here we go. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Wow. You can take Joseph and pull him away from his family and put him in a home far away around no one he knows, but because the presence of God is with Joseph, he thrives in Potiphar's house. And now, because of the presence of God, Joseph is able to thrive even being imprisoned. 
And I want to tell some of you today who spend constant amounts of time anxious and struggling with trying to discover the will of God. This is a freeing statement. The will of God is whether or not you are submitted to the ways of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So how does God make your path straight? By figuring out his will? No. By staying in line with his ways. Because Joseph is surrendered to the ways of God, God's hand is on Joseph's life, it doesn't matter if he's in the right place or the wrong place. He's going to thrive and flourish there, even if it means thriving and flourishing in a prison. Now, when I read these verses, I kind of want to laugh a little bit because it says that the Lord has kindness toward Joseph. If I'm Joseph, I'm like, okay, it, it would have been kind to like talk my brothers into not selling me or at least talk Potiphar's wife into not being a crazy, desperate housewife. Like that would have been, been kind, but oh yeah, you're, you're showing me favor in the prison. It seems like God's kind of messing with Joseph. The more Joseph is obedient to God, the more complicated his life becomes. And I just want to correct this for some of you today who think that your suffering or your struggle is evidence that God is not doing something great in and through your life, when in reality, the presence of suffering and struggles could be the very evidence of God's presence, not the proof that he is absent. Anytime you have more favor on your life given by God, if you acquire favor for your life, faith will be required through your life in equal measure. So we all want to be favored by God. We all want to be used mightily by the hand of God. Here's what doesn't get said a lot. If you want the favor of God, it's going to require a level of faith through your life that you're probably not anticipating that level of struggle and suffering. Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. What did the angel say? You are highly favored of God. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. Sounds awesome when we read it 2,000 years later. In real time, this looked like losing every friend and family member that ever knew Mary. Because who's going to believe a 15, 16, 17-year-old girl who claims that she was faithful to the man she was engaged to, but now she's pregnant? You read the story and you go, I want God's favor on my life. I want big dreams for my life. You need to know a high calling comes at a high cost. And that cost is your comfort, your ease. You're highly favored. Joseph's experiencing the favor of God by his life becoming increasingly more complicated? Yes. And it doesn't mean that the dream has been negated. It actually means that the dream is being created in the now through Joseph's faithfulness. And what's crazy is Genesis 39 is not the worst it got. Things are going to get worse if you can believe it. He's in prison and excelling there, staying faithful to God. And then these two prisoners are thrown in with Joseph from Pharaoh. It was Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker. And they both have dreams that they can't interpret. Now, this is crazy. Joseph had the spiritual gift of interpreting dreams. Nothing to do with my talk today, but how frustrated would you be if God gave you the gift of interpreting other people's dreams, but you had this dream that looks nothing like what your life looks like? So he can tell other people what their dreams mean, but he gets to sit there every night and go, 
why did you give me that dream? Because clearly it's not happening. Must have been maddening for him. Well, the cupbearer and the baker, they have these dreams. They don't know what they mean. And Joseph is available in that moment because God has given him that gift. And when they tell Joseph the dreams, Joseph looks at the cupbearer and he says, good news for you, man. Three days from now, you're going to be back at your original position. You're not going to be in prison. You're going to be back with Pharaoh as his cupbearer. But then he looks at the baker and he says, hey, man, bad news. Three days from now, you die. And it's hilarious. If you actually read this story in Genesis 40, Joseph doesn't say anything to the baker after he tells him that he's going to die. He's like, dude, I'm sorry. And then he looks at the cupbearer and he says, now when you get out of here, can you, sorry, man. Now when you get out of here, can you remember me when you get in the presence of Pharaoh? Like, can you talk to him? Because you know I'm here unfairly. And I gave you a really good report. You can almost feel them for three days looking over at the baker like, dude, I'm so sorry. But, but when you get out of here, you got to tell him. And the cupbearer's got to be like, man, I promise. If, I, if that happens the way you described it, I'm going to remember you. And we're going to get you out of here. And we're going to help you out. Watch what happens. Go to Genesis. This is chapter 40, verse 20. It says this. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Now here's where it gets worse. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And this is where if I'm Joseph, I'm done. God, I was faithful to you when you allowed the worst thing to happen to me that ever happened and separated me from my family. And I was faithful to you when I was tempted. And I was faithful to you when I was thrown in prison. But now I get an opportunity that looks like your hand is all over it. You ever had something come up in your life that you thought was finally God coming through and then it fell through? He's like, I'm just saying if it was me, this is where I would check out. And many of you, including me, would probably check out even earlier if we got really honest. And this is where I want this story to connect with our realities today and tell you that the only way you can miss out on the fullness of a God-sized dream happening in and through your life is to believe the lie that God has forgotten and to check out too soon. I'm going to say that again. The only way you can miss out on a God-sized dream happening in and through your life is to quit. Is to go, clearly, it's not going to happen. And so what you don't realize is God was not asking you for perfection. But the goal of the Christian life is perseverance. We persevere that we may stand in the presence of Jesus and him say what? Well done, good and faithful servant. So what it means to be faithful in the now is to continue to believe that God is not finished regardless of how much what I see looks nothing like what God said. And if I can be faithful, what's the root word of faithful? Faith. 
if I can believe when what I see runs contrary to what I want to see, if I can hold on long enough, if I can continue to align my life with the presence of God, here's, here's what God does. God over time reveals to you that you actually weren't in a season of waiting or a season of sowing that entire time, that that entire time God was doing something in you that was producing through you what the next season required of you. See, we gotta stop this language where we say things like, okay, all, all I'm doing right now is sowing. I'm just waiting on answers. I'm just waiting on provision. I'm just waiting, 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 waiting. And then we get in other seasons and we're going, oh, I'm just reaping a harvest from everywhere. God's just giving me answers and it's great. No, every season of the Christian life is both simultaneously. You're always gonna be waiting on something. You're always gonna be sowing something. And you're also always going to be harvesting something and receiving something. It's about understanding that there's never a present season where God isn't using something from your past to align in your present and prepare you for what he has for you today. And there's never a season in the present where he isn't preparing you for something that's coming next. It's always both. And where we get frustrated is we spend so much time looking at the end game and thinking about, sorry, Avengers reference, and we spend so much time looking at that that we miss out on this because we constantly compare the two. What if all God wants your mind and heart focused on is what he is saying and what he is doing in and through your life right here and right now? And what if what you were going through right here and right now wasn't actually meaningless? It was actually producing in you exactly what you needed to get you where you're going. Did you know that Joseph lives out the same narrative three times? And what looks like a random set of circumstances that's just unfortunate for Joseph is actually a pattern. God was doing something the entire time. Watch this. What's the first place Joseph ended up at when he got sold? He was at Potiphar's house, okay? Could have checked out, didn't. Worked hard. Continued to believe God for more. Continued to pray. Continued to obey God. Even when most of us would have disobeyed God just to have a moment of numbness because of our pain. And what happened? Potiphar promoted him. He became second in command over the whole house. Scripture says that Potiphar didn't think about anything except for what he wanted to eat today. He gave everything to Joseph. That's number one. Well, oh, then things fell out of control. They fell out of God's hand and God allowed for something bad to happen to Joseph. No, God orchestrated this, guys. Joseph is unfairly thrown into prison. That's part two. What happened? Same thing. Joseph was faithful where his feet were. Okay, I'm in jail. My God's so faithful. I'm gonna exercise the gift he's given me. If I was Joseph when the cupbearer and baker came, I was like, you need to find somebody else to interpret your dreams because clearly God has stopped moving in my life. The more I think God's moving in my life, the worse things get. No, 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 he didn't check out. He's like, no, I'll tell you. I'm still believing, I'm still believing. And even, even when the cupbearer forgets him, he still engages. Now what happened in the prison? He was made second. The prison warden didn't concern himself with anything. He left everything under Joseph's care. This is a pattern, and that's exactly what's going to happen when Joseph gets to the palace. Do you know what happens when Joseph gets in front of Pharaoh? Joseph is faithful in the now, and Pharaoh promotes Joseph to the position of second in command for the entire empire. Joseph becomes effectively the most powerful man in 
the world because he's entrusted with all of the resources of Egypt in a time of famine where Egypt had enough grain to feed millions of people because of Joseph's foresight and ability to interpret dreams. But you can look at Potiphar's house and the prison, like, oh, that was just meaningless waiting. That was just God doing in Joseph what he needed to do. No, that was God preparing Joseph every step of the way. But watch this. Joseph doesn't get to the palace if he's not faithful at Potiphar's and if he's not faithful in the prison. Like, you don't get that without this. The only way Joseph doesn't live the dream is if Joseph quits. I'm here to tell some of you today, the only way you won't see everything God has promised you is if you tap out, if you stop praying, if you stop getting in the presence of God, if you stop worshiping, if you stop coming to church, if you stop participating in community, that's the only way you can miss it. It's in your hands. And when I look at this, I'm like, man, we just want the palace so fast that it causes us to not see. God's already given you that, but it comes through this. And this is not the only time this happens in the Bible. This happens over and over and over again. Like David, the greatest king in Israel's Old Testament history, King David, he was a shepherd. Poor. The eighth brother eight sons. That means that seven guys are ahead of David. And who gets selected to be the future king? The shepherd boy. Why? Because God found David faithful taking care of those sheep, chasing down lions and bears to rescue one. And David's faithfulness to rescue one sheep was in God's eyes pleasing because God knew if he's going to be that faithful to rescue one sheep, I wonder what he'll do for one citizen. He's faithful. There's something God is doing in your season that looks like it's not effective, that looks like it's not important, that looks like it's not gonna matter. And God is actually using that to get you where you're going. And I told you that this truth has been written and rewritten in my life over and over and over again. And it got written into my life the first time I read Jeremiah chapter 29. So I was in college at Kennesaw State University. Thought that would get some hootie hoos from somebody in the room who was aware of KSU. That's what we say because we're the fighting owls. And we have a football team now. We didn't have a football team when I was there. Actually, we did, and I was the quarterback. Don't worry about the fact that it was slag football. And so it, it was a good season for me in college. And I was, I was frustrated because I had these big God-sized dreams for my life. And doing the things that I was doing every day. They didn't look like what I wanted to do with my life. And this might not be obvious to you, but I'm like a person who's always like just by nature in a hurry. Like I want to get where I'm going really, really, really fast. And your 20s is a really difficult time for somebody who's like that because you want to see so much happen so fast. And God's like, hey, you're on my timing. Like, trust me. It was hard for me. And so I'm, I'm walking to class one day and I read Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, some of you assume you know what I'm about to say. Because you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know Jeremiah 29, 11, because your grandmother cross-stitched it and put it on your bathroom wall. And you're like, yes, 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 here it is. We'll put it on the screen. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a, oh, we're not going to put it on the screen because we lost this entire section. Well, you've got to memorize anyway. Plans to give, prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the, the most quoted verses about the future, and it's what for a lot of you has awakened a hope in you about the future. You're like, 
I, I know God has a hope and a future for me, and I, I continue to think about it, and I continue to hope in it, but, but I don't feel like things are changing. That day, when I was in college, I discovered the context of Jeremiah 29, the whole chapter, not just one verse. And the context, this might scare some of you, is not a letter written to you in 2019. The context is that it was a letter written to Israel when they were going into exile. So Jeremiah 29, 11 is actually not about you, unless you're Jewish. <laughs> it's about Israel. But the Bible's so cool. When you interpret scripture the way God intends it to be interpreted, you can receive the promises of God correctly through a verse that you can hold on to. And I discovered that Jeremiah 29 is actually a letter from a prophet named Jeremiah to the people of God while they are exiled in Babylon and while they want to come home. And the key to understanding Jeremiah 29, 11 is actually Jeremiah 29, 7. And I'm, I, remember, I'm, I remember this like it's yesterday. I'm walking to class. I'm holding, I'm holding the Bible. And I had like, I don't know why. I don't ever highlight. I use pens, but I highlighted Jeremiah 29, 7. It says this, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper. In the letter, Jeremiah says, hey, you guys need to make a home in Babylon. You need to get jobs. You need to grow families. You need to be where your feet are. You cannot spend this entire season in Babylon waiting for the day I'm going to bring you over to Jerusalem. you got to thrive right where your feet are. And listen, Jeremiah 29, 11 will happen for you if you're faithful where you are now. So the promise for a hope and a future is not God going, hey, sit in a room and wait for me to give you that marriage, wait for me to give you that family, wait for me to give you that job. The promise of Jeremiah 29, 11 is if you're faithful in the now season, God will make you fruitful in the next season. If you're faithful in the now season, God will make you fruitful in the next one. And so the question today isn't, does God have a great future for you? Yes, he's your heavenly father. The question is, are you living and thriving and moving and breathing in the presence of God today? Or have you given up? Has what you're facing today that looks nothing like what you want caused you to compromise? And that's where I was, 19, 20 years old. I, I knew I wanted to preach the word of God in church. I wanted to stand and do what I'm doing today. But Nobody gave me a microphone, thank God. You know where I worked? I didn't work at a church. I worked at a Chili's. Yeah, yeah, and I still like it. I should tell you a lot about Chili's, man. If you're new to ACC, our church has this core value that we will do whatever it takes to get a Chili's back to Auburn, Alabama. In the name of Jesus, I'm just kidding. Uh, but. We do hope it happens. Now, there's a little bit of a misunderstanding here. We got, we got to come together on this. Do we have that? No, we don't have it back yet. It's great. If you guys want to shut it down, then that's fine, too, because I feel like this is going fine without the cool graphics, even though I like the cool graphics. I don't think Chili's is like the greatest restaurant ever, okay? I worked there for four years. Trust me, it's not. Here's the thing about Chili's, though, because some of you are like, man, why is Chili's your favorite restaurant? I was like, whoa, I did not say that. The thing I appreciate about Chili's is versatility, Tell me, okay, tell me one place in Auburn, Alabama, where you can go out with your friends and you're like, I kind of feeling chicken crispers, boneless buffalo wings, and she's, you know, kind of feeling fajitas, but he wants a Cajun chicken pasta, but they want a burger, but we want to start out with an appetizer that's egg rolls. <laughs> tell me one restaurant that goes, got it, got it all. 
It's, it's about quantity, not quality. So don't hear me say that Chili's is like a five-star date night. No. Some of you are like, I, I, I took this girl out of the day. I took her to Montgomery to go to, first of all, don't do that. And second, <laughs> whoa, we love you, Montgomery. But Atlanta's the other way. It's, the, uh, it's called Buckhead. Just keep driving. And so <laughs> I'm not saying that you just need to go to Chili's all the time. I'm saying we need a place where you can order to go on a Monday Go out late with friends on a Tuesday. Hang out on a Wednesday. Go for lunch on a Thursday, and Chili's is that place. So anyway, enough with the Chili sermon. Here's what I wanted to tell you. I worked there all through college, and here's what God showed me. God showed me that if I'm not faithful with a tray full of chicken crispers, I'm probably not going to be faithful with a microphone and a congregation. And God wasn't calling me to love thousands of people who were listening to me preach. God was calling me to love broken men and women who didn't care for the things of God for a season. And God, I think, really in that season wanted to see that I actually cared about the people as much as I said I cared about the mission of Jesus. And I'm so grateful he didn't hand me a microphone. I'm so grateful that in those seasons where it was like I am literally, I'm literally just a server at this little Chili's and I'm sitting there all night listening to preachers who are preaching every week and going, God, you know that's what I want to do. You know that's what you've called me to. You know that. And he's going, yes. And so you're not in a season of sitting around miserable. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Joseph has to thrive in the prison to get to the palace. Listen, if you're not faithful in the now, don't be surprised if you have compromised the fruit of what's next. And when I talk about God making you fruitful in the next season, I'm not talking about the world's version of reward. I'm talking about you knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're living the one life you were born to live. I'm talking about your family seeing the day where everything you have felt God promise you comes to light and comes to life. I'm talking about the fullness of the presence of God on your life. That's what's available to you today. And so everybody look up at me and don't miss this. This sermon is about God's will. And I know that we struggle with like searching for the will of God, but I hope that what you've seen today is that God's will is not a location that you find. God's will is something that you do. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the question becomes not how do I discover the will of God, but how do I do the will of God? And I think I've got the answer. And God's given this to me through his word. I'm going to show you in the story of Joseph how I feel like Joseph was able to persevere even when everything didn't look like the dream was going to come true. But if I could sum it up, the answer is fire. I've said many times from our stage that God's will is not a map. It's a match. That God's will is not a map that you receive one day and you go, okay, this is what God wants me to do and this is where he wants me to go and, and this is how it works. No, 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 God's a match. And when he sets you on fire from within, He's a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. And the passion that you have from being in the presence of God will light the way of your path every single step that you go into. And so the answer is this. Are you still on fire? Or have you given up? Have you been going through the motions? That will compromise God's dream. 
And there are a lot of people showing up at ACC today who know how to sit in church, you know how to sing the songs. But you secretly think God's forgotten you. You don't really think that today is going to impact tomorrow. And you don't really think God's going to use you in a mighty way. And it's exactly that thinking that makes the enemy's purpose for your life so pervasive. It's coming after you. And so what I want to ask you today is, when's the last time you got set on fire in the presence of God? And if it's been a while, why not let that change right now? Because he's here and now. And if you're faithful in the now, everything can change. We have to stop talking about defining moments. People go, there's, there's a few defining moments in your life where you make major decisions. No, there isn't. You only have one defining moment, this one. God can change everything in a moment. God can do more in a moment than Satan can do within eternity. Okay, so if he's got this moment, you're good. And we talk about like decisions that change everything. Like people ask me like, what if, what if you didn't move to Auburn? How do you feel about that? Like, you know, you wouldn't be experiencing all these blessings that God's given to you, that he's given to your family. I'm like, yes, I would. Because just because he did it that way doesn't mean he couldn't have done it another way. What mattered is that I was set on fire in the presence of God in my own one-on-one time with him. Not that I orchestrated or manipulated my life in this direction or that direction. So this moment is the moment that you need to allow the presence of God to light up your life. And I want to tell you how you do it. I got one point. This is a miracle because I wanted this message to be crystal clear. Here's how you make sure you don't miss out on the dream God has for you, and here's how you make sure you're faithful in the now. Somebody say faithful in the now. Here it is, one point. Encounter God through daily dependency. Encounter God through daily dependency. That's the doorway to God-sized dreams coming true. That's the secret sauce of every life that God uses in a mighty way. And that's how you're sitting in the seat that you're sitting in today. Encounter God through daily dependency. Now, notice I did not say have a quiet time where you pray. I love the word encounter. Because encounter God implies that something big is going to happen that's going to change you. When you have an encounter with God, it's not just that you read some verses or listened to some songs. It's that you go back into your life and you know you're never going to be the same. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, seeing Jesus and going, well, my whole life's blown up and now everything's going to go different. I'm talking about Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 where it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. And when I saw him like that, I was done for. I was changed. Listen, these defining moments don't have to be few and far in between. They can actually be daily if you will declare how dependent you are on God. Because the doorway to the power and the presence of God is always our awareness of how much we need him. So in my life personally, I've kind of found out that the only way I'm going to make it into all that God has for me is if I've had an encounter with God this week. Like if I get up here, without actually having a moment where the God of the universe moves in and through my life, I got nothing to give you. I got nothing to tell you. I got nothing that can help you. But if I encounter him, if I know I met with the God of the universe, I can step into this moment confidently and you can step into every moment confidently if you've encountered God. How do I encounter God though? I know I need him. 
I've waited this whole series to tell you what I'm about to tell you because I think if there was a defining moment to Joseph's life, it's what he says two years after interpreting the cupbearer's dream when he's called before Pharaoh. And I want to show you that this isn't a line that I made up. This is all over the story of Joseph. So here's what happens. Two years after the cupbearer is brought back into his rightful position, Pharaoh has a dream that he can't interpret. And Pharaoh's stressed about it, and the cupbearer hears about it, and he's like, oh, uh, you ever had that moment where you, re you remember that someone texted you a couple days ago? You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, no, there is no way to explain this away. I just, I completely dropped the ball on that. This is two years later. He's like, I was supposed to help that guy. No, hey, there's a guy who can help you. He's in prison, like right over there. And he's been there for two years. And Joseph is called into the presence of Pharaoh after 13 years of this crazy, up-and-down, random life of suffering. And I want you to watch what he says. Look at Genesis chapter 41, verse 15. I'll read this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh. Sometimes you need to just stop when you're reading the Bible and go, what? Guys, this is, this is Joseph's moment. He's been waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do something to change things. And Pharaoh has called him into his presence and said, hey, I heard you interpret dreams. Is that right? Joseph goes, no, wrong guy. Not me. I can't. Not possible. I'm like, you Joseph, this is it. I can't do it. Watch this. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I cannot do it. But God will. A lot has happened in Joseph's life. He's been put in positions he didn't want to be put in. He's gone through stuff, more suffering than probably everybody in this room will experience in a lifetime. He's experienced in 13 years. And he's matured. But one thing he hasn't lost is his awareness of how much he needs God. And I want to call us as a church today to come back to declaring our need for God every day. This is... This is how you have an encounter with God if you live like this. We'll put this on the screen. I cannot, God will. I cannot, but God will. And so if you're in a place today where you're tempted to check out on your dreams, this is your moment to come back into the presence of God and allow him to do what you cannot the band's going to come up here. We're going to sing a song like we always do. And I simply want to call our people to get into the presence of God one more time. If it's been forever since God has said anything to you, he just might be saying something right here and right now. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your notes away. And these guys are going to step into this moment. And I want to just allow God to say what he wants to say to you right now. This, 
whole service have been opportunities for God to speak, but I, I felt like today I could say everything God told me to say and it wouldn't be enough. If he doesn't say something to you in this moment, then there's no hope for you walking out of here on fire and living every day faithful in the here and now. But my hope is that you get to hear from the God of the universe what you need to hear in this moment. Let's stand up all over this room. Let's close our eyes all over this space. And let's just receive from God. For those of you who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and I asked you, what's the last thing God said to you? I want you to recall that in your mind. It's not too late in the here and now to be faithful to the voice of God. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Call that to mind. But if you're here, and you would say, Miles, I've never heard God say anything to me. I want you to hear it now. The cross is the first place you need to look. What's he saying? He's saying, I love you. He's saying, I'm not finished yet. To two parents in the room whose kids have walked away from God and you prayed their whole life that they wouldn't and you're wondering whether or not prayer works. God says, I'm not finished yet. To the person in the room who failed miserably again and again and again and you think that you've given up that huge dream God had for you God says it's still you it's still yours God I believe in this moment that the most powerful thing we can do right now is be set ablaze from within by your love and so, God, I pray for people who are genuinely ready to receive your love for them. I pray for people who have been in seasons where they felt like it's just waiting upon waiting upon waiting. And maybe we realize that you've been right next to us the entire time. You were at Potiphar's house. You were in that prison. You're going to get us to the palace. But that doesn't change that the true treasure is your presence. So give us what we need in this moment. Maybe if it's just a word. We receive it from you. We sing to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.